welcome back everyone to the dice pirates podcast our first episode of 2022 this is episode 29 we're going to do in just kind of a recap of our games that we played over the holidays what we were able to get to some gifts that we got i am your host ian as always joined by matt and aaron how you guys doing ahoy we're setting sail again the dice pirates once again, into the wild blue yonder. Wait, that's a, that's a, that's an aviation thing. That, we're uh, doing nautical I, we puns. Are, I didn't know if that was sir, water see. or space. I, sir, do you it's think all we're blue. In space? It's all blue. I, do you know what a ship is? Are Water's we, blue. Are sky is blue. You have never established. Space could we, is blue. Could we can and decide that we're space pirates right now? I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, I like, would be a space pirate. Oh, not Netrunner. Oh, what is it called? The, the Star Wars from like three point five. Some people call me a space cowboy. I bet no one calls you the gangster of love. Spelljammer. Some people call me Maurice. <laughs> Spelljammer. Uh, D&D had spaceships. See, so before we get, before we get we copyright be struck pirates. somehow, um, before we sing the entire song, we're going to move on to our soapboxes. Wow. Matt, do you have something for us today? I do. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of want to hear your take on this. I've got a, I got a hot take from Reddit. Um, I don't try to spend a lot of time on Reddit because it frightens me. There's also, me. there's no other kind of take from Reddit than a hot take. No, it's too hot for me most of the time. Uh, Reddit frightens me. Uh, it, it feels like uh, the internet, uh, where the internet goes pro, and I'm not ready for it. But I did find this on Slash Board Games the other day, and I thought it was a really <coughs> interesting post and a point of discussion. So this is from a user named uh, Macistius. That feels right. And he and the heading is back in the hobby after twenty plus years is the scarcity normal? Uh, and he intros uh, one of the striking things about this hobby and a change from the days of yore is that it feels like the majority of the games that get talked about in forums and YouTube reviews and subreddits are not actually for sale. Uh, take the top ten from the of twenty twenty one for the Dice Tower guys. Their four picks are Merchant's Cove, Sleeping Gods, Cascadia, and Ark Nova. Not a single one of those games is actually available in retail. And he kind of goes on to compare uh, the hobby of board games to movies or video games where, uh, you know, the majority of games from critically acclaimed uh, stuff and indie stuff to, like, the big mainstream AAA titles... Uh, you can pretty much find now, you know, uh, most media is like really accessible, even like really obscure movies. If you're a movie buff or like uh, if you want to play pretty much any video game, you can find it on Steam or somewhere online for you to play it. And so um, but board gaming is a little bit weird in which some of the most popular, most critically acclaimed stuff is probably Kickstarter exclusive or otherwise crowdfunded, which means if you didn't get in early to get it, you probably don't have a copy to play. Which and even if uh, a game did have a short retail run, it can be really hard to get a hold of some of the most in-demand games. And so scarcity, and sometimes like what feels like artificial scarcity, really kind of plagues this hobby in a way. And I think it makes it a high barrier of entry for people to get in. It kind of concerns me. What do you guys uh, feel about that? Is this, do, you, do, you, do you see that? So one of the unique things about board games as a as an art form, as a form of media, is that if I want to watch a movie, if I want to listen to a song, if I want to read a book, if I want to even look at a, a piece of art, I can do that without physically owning that piece of art. 
you know, when you when you make and release a movie, you can do anything from put it up on YouTube to exclusively release it in theaters. But even in theaters, every person who walks into that theater doesn't have to own a physical copy of that movie. That one copy still feeds 30 people every two hours over the course of however many months. You know, they didn't make they didn't make a billion copies of Spider-Man No Way Home. Right? right. They they downloaded it to the theaters. It can exist digitally. You but don't they did have make to a physically oh, they did make a billion dollars and uh, feelings about that mostly good. And because we're in we're in an age where, where board gaming is, is absolutely exploding in popularity. On the one hand, you've got a lot more people playing games, but on the other hand, you've got a lot more people making games. And it's still a finite market. And because every copy has to be made... Yeah, I think that's like where a lot of this ends up kind of coalescing in. Is that there's a lot of factors that really come together. Because you're talking about, A, you know, the scarcity of board games now is partially due to the fact that they are Kickstarter-based, so people are going to get the game, the people that want it, and if you don't hear about it beforehand, then maybe it comes out. If it does well, they do a re-release potentially, then they send it out to some people, but because board gaming is still a smaller hobby, and unless you're, you know, Milton Bradley, and you're putting out millions of copies of Monopoly that are going out to every single store because people always buy Monopoly... You're not going to send out, you know, a million copies of, you know, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion to every Target, you know, everywhere. I mean, you do see some of them somewhere, but like every store is not going to have that because chances are you're not going to have people just picking that up on a whim. It's it's going to be less likely. And so I think a lot of those kind of you see the difficulty of that where it's harder for somebody to just say, hey, I'm just going to throw this out there and hopefully people buy it. That's something that Jamie Stegmaier talked about a lot in some of his blogs. We talked about the reasons he got away from Kickstarter. While those are concerns and you have to figure out, like, how much am I going to send? That is something that can become difficult, though, is because if you do go Kickstarter, then there is scarcity of your game after it. If you wanted the game and you missed out on your Kickstarter, you're out of luck. Yeah, I think it just it's that devil's bargain of, like, uh, crowdfunding that we've kind of touched on before. And that's where that post really resonated with me because on the one hand, crowdfunding has made more cool and interesting games possible. I mean, we've talked about games that just wouldn't have been made in a traditional publisher model that is geared toward producing a lot of copies for a mass retail audience. I mean, that's, you know, why a certain slate of really popular family board games has stayed in print forever because those are a safe bet for a publisher to like make a bunch of copies of. But at the same time, the Kickstarter crowdfunding world means uh, if you're not uh, engaged with that, you may miss out on playing a lot of really good games or they enter the market, the secondary market at a high cost sometimes, which actually I'm going to talk about that in a bit later when we get into our kind of main uh, focus for today's episode. Uh, but that's it. I don't have a whole lot more to say about that. It's just an interesting thing. It's an interesting kind of side effect of where the industry is. A lot of really great games are being made. They're not always being made in huge numbers. Uh, and this isn't a hundred percent necessarily the same thing. I just wanted to shout out to this cause I thought it was a, a, a very well put together thing. Uh, board game on Kickstarter that I backed called So You've Been Eaten in their last update. It's, uh, the, the first uh, zero to two player game because 
both player factions have automas and there are rules to just play the automas against each other so that's a fun thing zero player gaming is going to be the new hot trend in board gaming (laughs) (laughs) it's the the auto battlers just just literally watch it play out um anyway their their most recent update uh because they're in the fulfillment stages of their game where they they finalized what it's going to look like and everything that's going in the box they just got to make it and get it shipped and in our, our continuing struggles with the supply chain they put a very lengthy roundup and summary of all of these different articles from all of these different sources you know some of them are yahoo finance some of them are board game geek some of them are just uh retailers making big threads on twitter you know it's it's a, a wide range of sources uh from the past six months just different perspectives on the current supply chain problems that we're having and all the different areas and facets of it uh and i read uh most of the articles the yahoo finance one was a little uh, it, it assumed I was a lot more educated than I am, um, <laughs> but it was. It's, it's. There's some really good reads in here that add a lot of extra perspective to everything that's going on, and I just wanted to bring attention to that. We'll have, uh, like I said, you can you can Google "So You've Been Eaten" Kickstarter. It'll be the last update, and then we'll also have a link to that in the show notes. That's good stuff. We are going to go ahead and move on to our game. We're going to jump in to Bitter Board Gamers. This, of course, is the game where I read some one-star reviews from Board Game Geek, and you guys try to guess what the game is. You guys excited? I love it. I'm always excited for some Bitter Board Gamers. And, I'm excited. Uh, I think I'm going to be unbroken this year. I'm going to get. I'm going to be 100 percent on all my guesses. I was just thinking that I should. Uh, I should go and, and re-listen to all the back catalog, and figure out our respective scores. Mm, oh, that would actually be interesting. You start keeping track I, and make I this bet, into a thing. I bet you're yes. doing phenomenally better than I am at this. Wow. Yes, I think so too. <laughs> Maybe it's because Matt is very negative, but he just manages to, to to figure out what these people are talking about. You know, maybe that's what it is. Uh, I, just, I don't have knows? that. I don't who, have that old man shaking his fist rage. Who knows, honestly? We doors. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna jump in. Here is your first review for your first game. Could have been a great coin war game, but thematically screwed up. Waiting for someone to use an adapted system for a proper military history game. Uh, I'm just going to take a flyer here and say Root. It's Root. Yeah, that was my guess. Uh, that was definitely going to be guys Root. Got so, yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. It's a, it's a, it's a gimme, <laughs> I guess, a little bit. But, like, he already did PAX Premier, so, like... If you wanted to play that as a war game, he he already made that game several times. I love actually versions. this is this is a good one to bring up because I love that there's a, a fascinating uh, sub uh, like heated like kind of sub discussion going on on board game geek world and board in board game world where uh, is root a war game or not? Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, it's a war. Game. I want to I want to read you the next review because okay. this man is on a crusade. Okay, I don't play this game. And I don't even mind to play it. That's a great place to start. I saw the description of the game, and this game is a strategy game, not a war game, considering all games in this category. So I put a 1, because the category of the game is clearly wrong. 
This wrongness must be corrected to assure that this category is not polluted by someone who wants to do marketing for this game in a category that is not correct. If this injustice is not corrected, you will see this game be number one or in the top three in this category. If this case happens, I will not contribute financially anymore to BGG until that injustice is corrected. Injustice. If the case is corrected, I will retire my one rating and continue as usual to contribute to BGG. I wish that I cared about anything as much as this man cares about Root not being I feel a like if, game. I feel like if the average person in America cared about like uh, civic politics and like <laughs> in their local government as much as that person cared about this, the world would be a very different place. Like I don't know uh, that... I don't know that I'm this sweaty about my kids as this man is about Root being a war game. That's, <laughs> that is dedication uh, to a cause. Okay, a lot of feelings. Uh, I agree with Aaron, though. Uh, Root is almost certainly a war game in that it definitely depicts a war, which is the minimum, I think, minimum standard uh, to be considered a war game. Now, I think war gamers as a sub-hobby within board gaming is a whole subculture. And in, I know there's a certain type of person out there that if it doesn't have hexes and it is, and the game's components aren't entirely made of little square pieces of cardboard, uh, then it's not a war game. I think if Root's uh, entire uh, game played exactly the same and it was just like not fantasy little creatures. And also, maybe if it wasn't cute. If it was still fantasy, but it was like gritty. People well, if, would be like totally different. If you go on BGG and you look up uh, Cole Worley's design diaries for Root, in its early days, it was about the Afghanistan conflict. Like in the early stages of its design. And then, you know, he, he approached Patrick Leader of Leader Games and they worked together and they, they found the magic sauce that is, okay, so sure. there's this ruthless onslaught battle and there's cute kitties and cute birdies yeah. yeah and it's like the best-selling war game of all time so like yeah cutest meeples that have ever actually been in a game potentially of all of all time you know i love it and uh i mean it's definitely like you said it's incredibly popular it's working all righty so you guys ready for your second game yeah definitely all right first review the worst game i've played too much interaction. You can't plan nothing because the other players destroy your plans. Too much interaction. Too much interaction. Right? Like that's I know I know what game this is. Too much interaction. This is interesting because yeah, it's like that actually this was a common theme among many of the low reviews is that there's too much interaction with other people. Too much interaction. I, I feel I got, like I got nothing. What this game gave me immediate uh, feelings of is Tiny Town. It is not Tiny, Tiny Towns. Town. Uh, Tiny... What? <laughs> I can Tiny... see that. The... Matt, Matt, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you go free, Matt. Oh no, Matt, uh, Matt, Matt hates Tiny Town. Uh, that's what. That's the. That's the. That's the thing. I don't hate. I don't hate that game, but it is. So the interaction, the player interaction in Tiny Town is that when someone, anyone picks a resource all the players have to pick that resource and you have to figure out where you're going to place it on your board. And so your plans are constantly getting foiled because Ian's picking glass over there, like a real jerk. And it's like, I don't need glass right now, but he needs glass, but it's like, I don't care what Ian needs. Uh, so, you know, that's tiny town in a nutshell to me. It also requires a real like four dimensional chess kind of mentality of being able to picture how your board's going to look after you construct the building, where you're going to place them. It's crazy. I can't do it. I can't do it. If, if I had to good. guess, I would guess Sidereal Confluence. Uh, but I don't know that there's any negative reviews for that because I think 
the vast majority of people who were insane enough to actually sit down and play that game like were it, already yeah. predisposed to enjoy that game. Well, it is not, in fact, Sidero Confluence, so you're correct. I'll go ahead and give you your second review. I don't mind the program your moves mechanic, but the artwork is so ugly and repulsive and the treasures so few and far between that I never want to touch this game again. Oh... Oh, this is Colt Express. It is Colt Express. Colt Express. <laughs> Too much. The art is ugly and repulsive. Well, you know, it's not great. It's I do subjective. sort of get that. It's that's a very subjective thing. I've oftentimes thought I don't exactly love the art, but when you say the art, that's truly just your character board. The meeples are great little cowboy meeples with guns. That's awesome. The that's train, the little three dimensional train, all splayed out. I love uh, I love Cult Express because it comes with uh, setup pieces that are entirely uh, superfluous and there for theming, like a little cactus and a rock that oh, have yes. nothing to do oh, with yes. the game. I love it. I love that that was manufactured and placed in there. And it's like, uh, hey, Steve, what are, what's the cactus for? It's for it, everything. It's for everything. <laughs> if we it's don't the put the cactus, yeah, exactly. If we don't put I this mean, cactus in here, I'll walk. <laughs> I mean, even the train could just be a picture on a board that you move around on. There's no reason for it to be. There was no a, reason. A literal choo-choo that you scoot around your table but like but they i mean did. probably once they decided to do the trains they had all this extra space on the boards that yeah the punch outs and they were like we got to do something with the space let's make a cactus i want to think that like they were so committed to the cactus that some part of the game got cut so they could make room for it it was like it's either it's <laughs> either this mechanic jurgen or the cactus it's the cactus for sure we got to yeah. cut the dice or we got to cut the cactus we're changing the whole game around a lot of people really did just dislike that pretty much everything you do is interacting with other people, mm -hmm. which I, I don't mean. That's it. That like, that's like most party games. I mean, like, I, I don't know. It feels like an odd complaint, but I kind of get it. It's like it's an odd it, it, on the one like, hand, it that's... makes you feel like you're playing a game where you're focused on getting, you know, you know, you're trying to get the highest score, but it's more of a movie than a game. I don't know. I was just going to say, it's weird because the, the too much player interaction, like that, that's the core of the game. Like that, that's, it, that's the whole game. Is. There's it's nothing else is. except you interacting with other like there's nothing else happening. I want a I want a Euro version of Cult Express where there's no <laughs> player interaction, no no take that mechanics, and you just build a little engine that generates the points. Literal, a literal uh, engine. A little what engine. if instead of playing cards, you pulled cubes out of a bag? Oh, get out of here! I'll throw, <laughs> I'll throw you off the train. I, I, I do want to say that my experience of playing Cult Express every time is that if you... Okay, we should probably explain this if you've never played it. Cult Express, oh, yeah. everyone plays... Uh, you're all a bandit trying to rob a train. And on your uh, turn, you play a series of cards in sequence that program uh, the moves you're going to make. You're going to pick up some loot. You're going to punch a bandit. You're going to shoot your gun. You're going to make some moves. Uh, you play your cards. Uh, everyone around the table plays their cards. Uh, some of the cards are face up, so you see what your opponents are doing, but some of them are face down. So there's always a certain uh, mystery about uh, whether or not if you go to punch Ian, he's actually going to be standing there when you go to punch him. Most importantly, you're playing all these cards into a deck, stacking them on top of each right. other in turn. and then it plays out like a movie clip out at the end of the round, and the cards are flipped through, and then you resolve the actions, and it's like watching a little scene from a Western. It's actually great. It's lovely. But my problem with it is that my ADD, ADHD sort of like 
brain is such that like I can never there's never been a time when I've successfully like tracked what anyone is doing. It doesn't matter if they're playing face up or face down. I have no idea what's going on. So I'm just playing cards. So my favorite part of uh any Cult Express is when they get to the end of the round, they start playing out the cards. I'm like, here we go. I have no idea what's <laughs> about to happen. I don't even know what my character's doing. I I forgot the first card I, I played. I was just about to say especially my... if you're playing the face down round, as soon as I put that card oh, down, yeah. it's immediately gone from my brain. I have no idea what I was doing. So. And then there's always one person who just gets shot, you know, way too often. And then the bullets start filling up your hands so you have fewer actions that you can take. Yeah. Uh, Still a very good game. I'm sure that's also a game that we were able to get to the table over Christmas. So I'm sure we are going to briefly talk about that again when we get to our main discussion. So we're going to get to that and we'll be right back in just a second. All right, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates, and we're going to go ahead and dive into our main topic for the week, which is going to be uh, a holiday recap. Yeah, so we've we've been on a break uh, for a hot minute. Uh, I think we had our last episode sometime way back in, uh, I don't know, November, maybe even October. Gosh, I don't early, even know. Early December is when we, uh, our last episode was like the first week of December. First week of December, yeah. So we've been on a break for a minute, and uh, we thought it would be good to kind of take a look back at what the heck your uh, friendly neighborhood dice pirates have been up to. So we're going to talk about games we've played, uh, cool new games we've picked up, and uh, share some thoughts on uh, what's been going on in our gaming lives. Um, Ian, I'll kick it off with you. Uh, we had what can only be described as a game day uh, to end all game days. Uh, you uh, came down uh, to uh, my neck of the woods, and we got together with a bunch of friends and played video game. Played... We played board games for uh, something like nine or ten hours. It was insane. It was absolutely fantastic. My wife and I drove down, got like a, a COVID test once we got into town just to make sure we were good, and then we came over and yeah, we we sat down, did a did a grill out day. Got there at like one o'clock. I think we left at like ten. It was great. We played ten games or something like that over the course. You know, some were some were larger games, some were just fun party games it was a blast and we have a lot of games to talk about there and uh so i mean we, we played cult express of course that's when we were able to get to the table and get the the full player count in a game that i do want to briefly talk about is a game that i was actually able to uh pick up i grabbed it from uh, my parents house was turn and taxis which is a uh, a german game um fairly a fairly old one it's actually kind of around the beginning of like the renaissance of, of board gaming you know carcassonne that's that type of time period uh and it's kind of like a ticket to ride type game um where you're building like connections from place to place and it's also an area control type game that where you know you're not only building routes but the where the routes are based on the regions of the map is also important to score you points i, I like it a lot i think it's really fun it's kind of it, it it's a little bit more involved personally for me than something like ticket to ride and i think it gives you a little bit more in terms of strategy so and uh but i was able to bring that and i was able to play that with you matt so i was just curious as to what you thought jumping into that for the first time because i personally really like that game and i think it's uh kind of a, a hidden classic I, I really enjoyed it uh my first thought when i sat down to play it is that you had told me that you got in this game called uh turn in taxis and i heard it as turn in taxis and I thought it was going to be this wild, like, crazy taxi-like game about taxis, maybe, like, looping through the city. <laughs> and I was, like, hyped to play Turn in Taxis. It is not Turn in Taxis. It's Turn in Taxis, T-H-U-R-N, uh, und Taxis. Is that it? I don't know. It's very German. 
it's uh, so it's not what you think. If you're hearing uh, turning taxis, that's not it. Uh, it's the most Euro game of all the Euro games I've ever played. It is very uh, sort of dry thematically. It it's not thematic at all. You're just kind of making patterns and making things happen on the board with little wooden pieces. It's got delightfully old school Euro game art, like very simplistic little uh, people in medieval times or turn of the century times. Uh, yeah, I love that but, restaurant. Turn of the century, yeah, medieval. Turn of the century times is like medieval times, but they drive little wooden buggies at each other slowly across the arena for, uh, and then everyone gets smallpox at the end. So it's uh, it's really good. It's a good time. Yeah, it's actually a really solid game. I'm kind of giving it a hard time for its extreme sort of euro gameness, but don't let its kind of bland exterior fool you. It's a fun one of these games of like building uh, a, a linking uh, thing across the board, sort of, uh, I guess maybe like uh, shades of like brass, Lancashire, Lancashire, or um, uh, something like that. You, you, you've, you've played games like this, but this one's a really good version of it. I had a lot of fun. I thought that I was doing good the whole time we were playing it and really thought that I was going to win it and then did turned out I was doing terrible the whole time. And that's the sign of a good Euro game. <laughs> When you realize, oh, I don't understand this at all. I gotta play it again. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the game right now. I've not played it before. I have heard of it, but I've not played it. The uh, little house meeples are just a gosh darn adorable. They are adorable, and it's great to like watch your little trail of little houses like uh, build up. Uh, thematically, like what you're doing is creating like postal routes, I think, uh, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like you're building a little like subdivision, maybe. I don't know. It, this is it. It's a it's a strange little game, but it's a lot of fun. Like you said, truly truly a classic Euro in in you know I mean in every sense of the word. Aaron, was there a game that you were able to pull out, or was there a gift that you got over the holidays that you really enjoyed that you want to point out? Um, it's it's not a a, a board game necessarily, but I got uh, Pokemon this year came out with a or maybe it was last year a like starter set for the game that comes in a box like a board game it's got a board that you put in the middle of the table and it's to it comes with like three pre-built decks to teach you the the basics of the game and so my son and i have been playing pokemon the trading card game and he's uh really getting into it because he's he's getting to the age where like he can read the card and understand what it means, and I don't have to read it for him and then pretend I don't know what's in his hand, which is very exciting for me to to, to play those games with him. This is not 100% board game related. I did get a mystery Christmas present board game, uh, a copy of Guilds of London and the expansion Wards of London from uh, now... Uh, no longer extant board game publisher, Tasty Mental Games, rest in peace, <laughs> showed up at my house. Oh. Don't know who got it, though. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, I love that. Haven't you played got a mystery yet. gift? I did get a mystery gift, and that was the only board game I got, which makes sense, because if anybody, that, if anybody knowingly gave me board games, my wife would send people out for them. Is it possible that it was a Kickstarter that you forgot you did? No, because it's, it's a game that's been out forever. So I don't just I don't super know. delayed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I don't. I don't have anything uh, super fun and exciting. As it was, we didn't get together with people much over the holiday. Uh, everyone that I know is old enough that they have like their own 
household families and children that you know they're all spending time with their kids or whatever and didn't have time to play board games uh, and then I just wasn't on the short list for the invite mm-hmm. to the Dice Pirates Hangout, which you, uh, you live, we're going to discuss uh, we after, won't discuss our after actual we finish locations. recording. We won't discuss our actual locations because we don't want anyone to actually uh, show up to, to, to find us. But you live real far away from me, and Ian lives real far away from both of us. And uh, Ian came here, uh, if we would have scheduled better, if we would have known that it was going to work out, it would have taken, but it would take a lot of logistical planning to get the three of us in one physical uh, location. Oh, do you know this is worth talking about? And I want to do it on the show because there was a time when you could have come and played games uh, with me <laughs> at my house on Thanksgiving because you were in town. Uh, you are the brother of fellow Dice Pirate Max. That's been established as canon. We all know that. And you guys were all together. And Max was coming over and he's like, I'm bringing Aaron. But Aaron lost his keys. And spent so, like seven <laughs> hours looking for a set of keys until you couldn't come. Uh, you were you were within like two hours of me, and you couldn't I was even like make it because you couldn't. Forty five minutes away. Yeah, that's and hilarious. I could have come and hang out, and I uh, couldn't find. We we couldn't find my wife's car keys. We brought her car. Uh, so on our on our. Trip. So it was a near miss. Like we uh we could have uh. I, I'm still. It's been so long since I've seen you in person that I'm not unconvinced that you're a elaborate uh, simu- AI simulation. I'm a I'm a VTuber now. I exist as <laughs> as a, a consciousness in the. Cloud. You are an NFT. Like we're actually going to sell you, <laughs> and you can own. Uh, you are a non fungible. He's not. Been, he's not been fungible for years. So uh, he's been <laughs> ahead of the curve. Uh, I have something to say about the Pokemon uh, board game that you mentioned because yes. I picked that up for my kids. Uh, a couple of years ago, maybe or a year and a half ago. Okay, so it's been out forever, and I just didn't know about it. The board game arena, yeah, it it was like maybe not that long ago, maybe like last Christmas, I think, is when I first started seeing it in stores, and uh, I think it is a fantastic little thing because nothing surprised me more after years and years of my kids collecting Pokemon cards and nobody having a clue how to play the game, <laughs> and we just us just having thousands of them littering the house nothing surprised me more to sit down and play it and realize oh this is actually a really fun game right. the pokemon trading card game is a fun game it's like you know shades of any collectible combat driven like card game that you've ever played it's a little bit magic it's a little bit yugi go it's all of that it's not gonna surprise you but it was actually it's actually a really fun game and this box set that you buy teaches you the rules of the game it's got a fold out hard board with all of the rules and the order of the turn it's really solid uh it was a lot of fun so uh we still play pokemon every once in a while the starter decks are in like pre you don't shuffle them they're in an assigned order and then Mm -hmm. each player gets their own little rule book that walks them through you know you're gonna draw the top card and it's gonna be this card and then you're gonna play this card out of your hand um, yeah. So it like it really it it really walks you through and it it doesn't, you know, you don't have to ever really look at the rule book as long as you're just playing those cards. You know, I'm sure if you were playing with whatever cards that exist outside of this, I'm sure there are a lot more complicated mechanics and stuff that you would need to to read I'm up glad on you and mentioned understand that. them. That's something I haven't seen really in any other board game. Is that is they basically uh, your first time playing it is a scripted tutorial. It's like the first hour and a half of any new video game you get, where they're like press X to engage with an object. You know, this game it, it literally walks you through like a scripted version of the game, 
And I was like, man, there's some really complicated board games that could benefit from that, where it's like, okay, for your first game, set everything up in this way, put all the cards in this order, and then uh, we're going to walk you through the first, uh, your first game, like, play by play. Yeah, I love that some games like Wingspan does that, where once, at, like, when you first bring out Wingspan, there's actually uh, sheets you give everybody at the table, be like, all right, here are the cards you start with, here are the cards on the table, set the dice up as so, here's how you play your first Ooh, three turns. I don't remember doing you know, that the first time I played it's, Wingspan. Uh, I think we didn't do it because... You know, being people who are like very into board games, it kind of it, it does limit your options. It pushes you in one direction, and so we kind of got got into it. But I found that like it works so well if you have people who are a little overwhelmed by the game, just start playing the game, and it actually teaches you how to play, which is so nice. Another game that I got a billion years ago from Kickstarter, uh, Fog of Love. Which, if you've never played it, I recommend very highly get a hand on it and get a friend who's willing to play a game that isn't it is a board game as a thing but it's a role it's a two-player role-playing romantic comedy uh where where each player is a, one of two people in a relationship and the cards are all about going through and and forming a relationship with the other person it's tremendous fun if you have friends who are willing to let go and, and be a part of the game and, and get really into it. Um, but when you first open up the game, it has the same thing where it has a specific deck where it tells you play this card, then play that card. And as you go, it'll slowly introduce the mechanics one at a time rather than what you normally have to do a board game night, which is I'm going to talk at you for about 30 to 45 minutes and I need you to just retain all of this for two hours after I'm done talking, which is like you're saying that that is something mm -hmm. I understand why most games don't do it because I cannot imagine the design time budget that you have to assign to having a pre-scripted first game or first five turns or whatever. But uh, I have there. It should be more common than it is. I think that's a wonderful thing. I think that should be on the box when you do it. That is one of the worst parts of like a getting a new game out is especially if you're teaching people who, you know, if it's a more complicated game, you know, a big game, it can be really tough to, to do that teaching. So it's always fun, especially, you know, when we got together and we were able to just jump into games that we already knew how to play. Or if it's a game that's really simple, a game that we actually picked up as we were visiting people you know, because it's a game we've played a couple times, but we wanted to share it with them, is a game called uh, Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza, <laughs> which is a card game. And if you've ever heard of Egyptian Rat Slap or, you know, ever played the card game War, games like this, you know, you get a deck of cards, you throw it on the table, everyone else throws their card on the table. You know, very similar idea. It's a bunch of adorable little drawings of various cats. You got, you know, goats in there groundhogs, narwhals, all sorts of really adorable like drawings on these cards. And as you as you put your card down, you're going to say one of the titular words, taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza, in that order. And as you run around, once a word gets said that matches the card that's put down, you slap. And everyone tries to get their hand down there as fast as possible. And if you are the slowest one, you're going to get all the cards. And you don't want the cards. You want to get rid of your cards as fast as possible. 
so easy to so easy to tell people especially if you got some younger kids really fun we we pulled that out we played with actually a fun mix of you know adults and kids and it was a genuinely fun time and the best part about the game is that the people who aren't there when you explain the rules like matt who was off doing the grilling thing the grill meister mm -hmm. and uh, he comes back in and if somebody slams down a card and says go and everyone goes boom and throws their hands on the table or somebody puts down a uh, narwhal and everyone claps their hands above their heads to make a horn and then slaps the table and matt's like what am i looking at what i uh doing? i was off in the distance working on uh grilling like you said getting dinner ready and this game broke out and i didn't even hear the explanation or what it was and i thought that maybe i was having a stroke i didn't know like what was happening these people were just yelling saying strange words and doing and gesticulating wild wildly it was uh it was wild but it did, that game did look a lot of fun like a lot of fun it is just a really simple i mean it's so cheap you know it's, it's also a small box easy to carry around i think it's generally worth you know picking up if you got some small kids i it's just really fun to play with people and it's so easy to pick up and i think those are, are really good games to have especially in, during the holidays so the game that i really wanted to talk about i got a couple of games that i was hoping to mention on my on this kind of recap but the one that surprised me the most was a game that i picked up uh, i think i bought it on cyber monday and i was looking for a game in particular to play with my kids and and the family and other folks at home because we were gonna have a couple a couple weeks off around the holidays and everyone's gonna be in the house together and i was like what would be fun and i stumbled across a good deal on a game that i honestly have given a fairly hard time on the podcast so i, I come here to uh, eat a little bit of crow and that is uh marvel united from simon is really good I'm so excited to talk about this one. I could not Is believe it, really? it. So, uh, all right. So, a little background. So, on the show, repeatedly, I think I have mentioned Marvel United and, in particular, its various exorbitant Kickstarters as sort of emblematic of the worst right now in like game uh, crowdfunding culture. Simon uh, has run some absolutely stratospheric uh, Kickstarters around uh, this line of games raised a ton of money and done so on the back of like crazy kickstarter exclusive stretch goals expansions that add other heroes and stuff and they've raised a ton of money they did it again with a new base game around the x-men characters just recently and i have always kind of rolled my eyes at this series as kind of emblematic of the kind of excessive cash grab driven marketplace and i just always kind of quietly assumed that the game itself was probably pretty bad but I thought it looked like the kids would like it. The big plastic hero minis are sort of chibi-sized and looked cute. And the deal that I found on uh, Amazon, uh, there was a vendor selling the base game with the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse expansion and the Doctor Strange character pack. And I thought, well, the kids are in a real Spider-Man phase right now. They love Spider-Man. So that put me over the top. So I got it. Didn't expect much of it. Actually sat there for a few weeks before I even opened it. And much to my surprise, and even slightly my chagrin, I realized this is actually one of my very favorite co-op games I've ever played. Uh, it does a couple of things just right um, in my book. Uh, one is it has a really clever mechanic that is absolutely fun uh, every time you play it, which is you use action cards and there's no dice in this which is kind of a as much as i like dice i realize is kind of a breath of fresh air because so many games like this would have dice driven combat that could be really frustrating especially for small kids so you play action cards on your turn you can always do a few guaranteed actions based on what you played you can move you could do a heroic action to rescue some civilians in stress or you could punch out a bad guy the next hero who goes 
plays uh, their card and they get to use the actions on your card and their card. So that's the Unite part of Marvel Unite. It's not just uh, a cute name. You actually combo together your actions off the hero in front of you uh, who played uh, before you. So the strategy involved in like working together is so good in a co-op game because it kind of like takes away, well, it doesn't completely take away the quarterback thing, but it makes everybody feel really involved in having to work together as a team. Because maybe I need to make sure that I play a move action on my turn so that uh, this person can move on their turn so they can do an attack and then I, that, then this person will capitalize on that attack card and so on and so forth. And you really feel like you're working together like the Avengers, like Marvel heroes. It's super fun. Uh, the other thing it does really well is it just, it's so thematic. The basic setup of the game is that there are little locations that represent spots around the city. And you're literally just zipping around, uh, rescuing people, beating up henchmen, chasing the villain as they move around, causing chaos all around the city. And the sense that you're in a classic comic book story is actually really compelling. Uh, it's really, really fun. It actually it feels like a great Marvel adventure, like when uh, you use uh, Spider-Man's uh, extra movement actions to do lots of little like web-swinging-like moves all around town, or uh, like Hulk can come in and do a huge attack. Um, and then the last thing that I really like about it is it comes packed in the base game with uh, three villains, and each villain is very distinct. So the game has three, as feels very different depending on which villain you're playing, like the sense of how the danger escalates and, and the objectives that you're trying to accomplish. And so there's actually a lot of variety there in the base box, depending on what hero you play and what villain you choose to go up against. Uh, Really good game. Uh, maybe I'm overselling it a bit. I'm a huge Marvel fan, so I'm probably inclined to like it. But Ian, you played it. Uh, am I crazy? Is this as good as I think it is? No, I mean it's it's a great game. So it was, you know, it's nine o'clock at night. I didn't want to leave yet. I wanted to play one more game, and uh, you were like, "Well, what do you want to play?" And so I, it was a choice between either Tiny Epic Galaxies or this one. And in my heart, I thought, Tiny Epic Galaxies, I know that game, I want to play that game, but we went with this one, because, you know, oh, it's new, let's try it. And, uh, you know, I started off, first 10 minutes, I was like, alright, you know, I wish I'd chosen the other one, but I'll enjoy it, I'll have a good time. And then, it clicked, and it got me, and I was hooked. Yeah. Because you start out, I mean, I think you said, each villain is very u unique, there's a distinct feel to it, and they mm -hmm. behave differently, and it's a lot like Dead of Winter to me. Like, I think that's a really good comparison because a lot like Dead of Winter, you're running to different locations. You're kind of having to deal with things overflowing. If too many henchmen or too many civilians end up at a certain place, then that place starts going into crisis and you have to deal with what's going on in that particular location. So you're constantly running around on the map trying to prevent the bad guy from just making things even worse. Well, at the same time, you're trying to satisfy the conditions that will allow you to actually damage the villain and get to the point where you can beat him. So how do you go about doing it? It's a lot of throwing things around. I like that there's no like tension there. I mean, obviously that's you know me personally, but it just it takes a lot of what I like about Dead of Winter and just makes it a lot easier to parse and a lot more like enjoyable and more cooperative for sure. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously there's no worry about a traitor, but like you said, bouncing off of each other. It's also super well balanced, which I thought was, you know, I, you know, we only got to play the one game, but you said this has happened many times as you're playing where we start out and immediately we're getting overwhelmed. 
Like I'm like, oh man, we're just we're not gonna make this. It's just going mm-hmm. really badly. And then we started to slowly turn it around as we get more cards out, as we're starting to piggyback more, and as you start to each location has a negative side effect every time you go there. But if you complete a certain objective there, you can turn you can get rid of that and it becomes a positive every time you go there. So as the game goes on, you actually get stronger because you're clearing locations. And so we start going through and all of a sudden, boom, oh, locations are cleared. We can actually kind of go at the bad guy now. And then we get to the end. It came down to the last card that we could have played. Yes. The last possible card before the villain was going to win, we were able to jump in and give him that last final uppercut and take him out. And it felt so good. There was high fives. There were were real high fives happening. It was incredible. Uh... It was incredible. It's it's a very well... You feel like you got a chance, and that's the best part of a cooperative game, even if you don't win. So many cooperative games are pitched like super difficult, and particularly with this one that you're probably going to want to play with young gamers, you need to be able to win probably more than you lose. And I'll say that we played this one a ton over the break. The kids got into it, and so it pl- I played it probably... I don't know. I think I've played it more than a dozen times, which is actually a lot for me. We play a lot of different games. There's very few board games I've played this many times in such a short amount of time. And I will say that we've won more than we've lost, which is what you want. And most games go down to a nail-biter finish. It really is pitched really well. Um, if you're an adult, like, serious gamer, is this going to have a place at your table? And if you don't have kids, I think it might. Uh, if you have, like, struggled uh, with finding a good cooperative game that was the right mix of difficulty, uh, that you do, like, win more than you lose, if you've had, if your group's been frustrated by kind of brutal slogs that some co-op games can be this one's light enough and and breezy enough to i think it could be really really fun especially if you like marvel don't let the chibi like young looking like style uh youthful like uh art style kind of like fool you it's good classic marvel fun you'll have a good time with it and uh i think it uh i want to say too it's very similar to another game that simon made uh it feels like a better version of the kick-ass board game the kick-ass board game is really good game well, it's also really, really hard. The Kick-Ass board game is... Yes. <laughs> I've played it several times. It, it's a good counterpoint to this. It has the same mechanic of, like, locations around the city that are filling up with, like, henchmen, and you've got to clear them, and the big bad has a plot that you got to resolve. There's a lot there. I actually think that they... I don't know which game came out first, but they, they these games are related in their DNA. Eric Lang is involved in the design of both of them. Um, but Kick-Ass is too hard. It uses dice-driven combat to resolve the battles, and you frustratingly lose at times when you really needed to get a win the rate at which henchmen spawn is bananas in that game uh kick-ass is a game that you will lose more than you win you got to earn a victory uh marvel united is pitched the other way you'll you'll probably win more than you lose or it'll be tight and it's very fun uh i have one final thought then i will move off of this so my gripe before i ever played it why i had such a bad taste in my mouth about this game was it's kicked it's mini kickstarter exclusives and how it drove up these exorbitant Kickstarters and raised so much money. And I felt like this is sort of emblematic of some of the problems in the industry. And I still feel that way because here's the thing. We really like this game now. We'd like to buy some of the many expansions that have been released. We can't because they uh, were all Kickstarter exclusives. And if you go on Amazon right now and search for Marvel United, you would be flabbergasted, possibly even agog at the prices that people are asking for some of these uh, Kickstarter expansions. Uh, one that I would love to get, just because I'd love to get Thor in the mix, is the uh, Tales of Asgard expansion. Uh, it's for a reasonable $110.99 Woo-hoo! right now. 
Uh, maybe you want to like get three. Maybe figures. you want to get that. Uh, maybe you want to get that Spider-Man expansion that I was able to pick up for a great deal on uh, on uh, on a uh, Cyber Monday. Um, but now it's eighty dollars as a standalone. Or uh, maybe you want the Guardians of the Galaxy expansion. You can't get it. That one's not for sale. The uh, all-in exclusive Kickstarters, everything, uh, the all-in Kickstarter box is is a mere $260. So that's what Kickstarter exclusive uh, stretch goals do. They create an insane aftermarket that makes people like me who've fallen in love with the game, I'm basically done with it. I, I won't buy anything else. There's nothing else for me to buy unless I do want to get in on a Kickstarter in the future, but I don't know. Do I want to, do I want to support this madness? Just you know, as a as a side note, mark your calendars, folks. January thirteenth, two thousand twenty-two. Matt admitted he was wrong. <laughs> well, I, I was wrong-ish. Uh, <laughs> I think my I think my feelings about their fundraising model stand. Uh, I think the surprise is that the game turned out to be really good, which is there's something to be said for that. Uh, that's, a, that's a happy surprise for sure. That yeah, is a happy surprise. I'm happy with that. I mean, I, the positive the positive thing is that the base box of Marvel United is now being sold in a mass market retail edition that has, as I've been as I understand it, slightly dinkier uh, components. Not the minis, but the the paper and stuff that the, the right. cardboard that's in it. You can get it pretty easily at a retailer like Target or a bookstore or whatever, or your friendly local game shop. Uh, so Marvel United base box, not hard to get. And the X-Men uh, new uh, base box is also pretty easy to get, real, relatively cheap. All the various expansions that add more heroes, that stuff is like, uh, you got to go through a black market. You have to go on the dark web to find that stuff, man. Well, I'll probably hold off then until I can come see you again to play it. But it was a very exciting game for sure. The last thing that I want to talk about, throw to you guys before we start to wrap this up, as we look forward to the next year, what's a game you have not been able to try yet that you really want to try? A game that you've been looking, meaning to pick up but haven't had the chance? Or just something that's been sitting on your shelf of shame? Because I have made the, I've made a challenge for myself to play every game on my board game shelf this year. I'm going to give it a good shot. I'm looking forward to doing that. But I'm curious, what are you guys looking to play? I have uh, a couple of games on my shelf of shame that I want to get down this year. Uh, when I look around, I'm in my board game room right now, and I'm looking at my shelves, and I realize I'm pretty proud that I actually see only two games left that I have never played that are sitting up there. One is Lords of Hellas that we picked up uh, a while back and find ourselves continually intimidated by uh, the manual when we try to read it. So uh, I'll, I'd like to play Lords of Hellas soon just to get that down. And I also have a copy of, uh, still in the shrink wrap, a copy of Deception murder in hong kong i just got to organize a big group because that's kind of a party game uh beyond those two the other one i'm really excited about is to play onk finally uh max fellow dutch pirate finally got his uh long delayed uh kickstarter all in so he's got about uh, a quarter ton of plastic mini sitting at his house and uh i'm super pumped to play that one um I'm, yeah I'm and then we knocked excited. off yeah, we knocked off another bucket list game for us recently, too, because over the break we played Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. That's probably too much to recap, but uh, yeah, that's kind of my stuff. It kind of comes back to what we were talking about Kickstarter. I would love to get Sleeping Gods this year, but I don't know if that's going to happen, but I will do my best. I'll do my best to, to get that one in there because that's that's one I really want to be able to play. That's exciting. I... Uh... 
I can't n nothing springs to mind. I've been uh, I've had a lot of success lately with my game group of kind of burning through some of my backlog. I am what I would like to happen in my my social circles this year is I have and I'm going to have over the coming months thanks to my crippling addiction to spending money on Kickstarter uh, a huge huge pile of campaign slash narrative slash legacy-esque games coming yeah and I would like to play one of them through ooh like I've okay. got the I love that uh, I mean, my we've we've got destinies that I've brought up over and over again, uh, but like we've only ever played the first mission of it. So like I would really love because we've got both expansions. So I'd really love to to be able to play through that and and see everywhere that goes. We've got the uh, Divinity Original Sin board game coming, which looks to be interesting. They keep sending design updates, and I'm just like salivating over all of it because that's wow. one of the best video games of all time not one of it's my a, favorites but one of the one. best also um, a kickstarter success honestly yes. um so that's 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 fascinating um, so i i would love to or even like i picked up jaws of the lion and like even if i or sorry gloomhaven jaws of the lion and even if i just were to solo my way through it i would love to just finish one of these like epic scale things matter from session to session and just see one of those all the way through at some point this year yeah that's a good goal so that is the episode thanks to everybody who listens for joining us again in 2022 we're thrilled to be able to do more podcasts if you do enjoy listening to the podcast we'd love it if you either left us a comment contact us on instagram let us know what you think about the podcast. Heck, if you have an idea for a podcast or something you want to talk about, let us know. Or maybe if you got some rulebook randomness submissions or some reviews that you found on online that you thought are great for bitter board gamers, just let us know. We'd love to hear from you, love to get to interact with you. And if you do enjoy us, maybe maybe share the podcast with a friend, something like that. We, you know, we really enjoy doing this. We feel like we're getting better at it. But of course, we'd love to get the feedback from you guys and really hear how we are doing so you know as we move forward but if people do want to let us know about that where can they get in touch with us matt you can find us uh on instagram at dice pirates like uh, ian said we'd love to hear from you you can send us a direct message there a direct message and one of us will answer you back uh i promise and uh also uh if you love the show uh, one of the most uh, one of the best things you could do if you want to do us a solid is rate and review the show on your podcatcher of choice, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you uh, wherever fine podcasts are found, you can find the Dice Pirates. Leave us a rating and a review, and uh, that would be amazing. We are excited for the coming year. We hope that you guys are too. Keep an eye out for us, of course, wherever you listen to your podcast. And until next time, we will be right here on the Dice Pirates. Play more games. See ya.